This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. We got a great show today. We got Mark Bodner in the studio. Mark Bodner is the CEO of LNR Distributors, a multi-million-dollar distribution business, and he's got a lot to talk about. I mean, how he grew within the ranks to where he is today: relentlessness, resilience, success, vision. He speaks about this great distinction between being interested versus being interesting, pointing arrows outward versus inward. He's got great stuff. This is an ideal show for anybody looking to figure out how to grow from where you are to where you want to be. Check it out. Delving into current events to uncover relevant wisdom. Uncover relevant wisdom. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. Um, and an individual who um, really rose on his own, so to speak, and really built a company and grew, first grew a company and then ultimately expanded a company with very specific principles on how to do it. And it's truly an honor to be here. And for everyone listening, this is an individual who can really help you wherever you are, learn how to take where you are in life, especially a company, especially a business, from good to great and awesome. I am so excited to be part of this. I'm so excited to have him in the, in the studio. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you, Charlie, for having me. Pleasure to be here. It is great that you're here. Let's start from the beginning. So you got into the distribution business. How? That's a great question. When I was still in college. When I was still in college, I joined a company that designed software packages for wholesale distribution businesses. Uh huh. And I was trained as a computer programmer. So I got this job and I started uh, visiting wholesale distributors. And my job was not so much around the programming, although I wrote a lot of the specs for programming, was going to different distribution companies and figuring out their needs and customizing the software, the software package to them. And as I got involved in the wholesale distribution, got exposure at a very young age, talking, you know, 2021. Wow. But you were a computer programmer then. You were I was a, I was, I had a consulting job before that. And then I was a computer programmer. <sighs> wow, I love it. And it was, it was interesting. I got this exposure to this industry and I just, I loved the hands on the, I loved it that it was a business that you could touch it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, you know, you walk, work in an investment bank or in a bank and you don't get to touch the money. Here you're working in a business, I get to touch the product. Right. So I remember a specific example. I was, I was sitting, with, uh, sitting in a company designing specs for modification to a software package and it was an eyeglass distributor in Connecticut. And they were asking me questions about like a general ledger package, like a piece of the accounting software, never been exposed to it. But here I am now sitting with a with executives from a distribution business talking about how they want to do their accounting. We just figured it out along the way. And and they walked me through their whole process and their, their warehouse and how they cost their inventory. And I got to see the inventory. And I said, well, this is pretty cool. I like this distribution thing. So in a very in a couple of years of doing that, I was exposed to a distribution business out on the east end of Long Island. And they were a very small 
you know, mom and pop type company. Uh-huh. And they had bought this software package because a very large competitor of theirs, someone they wanted to be, had bought this software. What they didn't know at the time was that they, this other company bought the software and was modifying it completely. And they had an in-house programming staff to do it. Wow. So they, they pulled it off the shelf. They, yeah, they bought this software package and they don't have an in-house IT staff and it wasn't quite working the way they wanted it to work and they had already invested in hardware and had all kinds and after a year of sitting with them trying to make this software fit we had a they they called me in on one of my you know why uh, weekly or every other week visit and they said is this software ever going to actually work for us and i looked them in the eye and i said no i don't think so <laughs> so any advice what what should we do and it was it was uh, it was a very you know awkward position to be in because here I am working for this company and by the way I wasn't happy at all in this in this job for you know, various reasons it was not a a very great environment to be working in and I was really starting to look around I was there for a couple of years and you know I was I was looking around and I had some opportunities and offers to go into different businesses. And, you know, I said, well, you know, if you'd like, I'm really not happy where I am. I'd be happy to come here and consult for you and help you find a way to get out of this mess. As an IT guy. As, as a systems admin IT kind of a uh, guy. Right on the bottom. Right on the, so I, 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 went, I, I went in there and, and I started there really as a consultant. And I was getting, getting there. I remember I would drive from Brooklyn, stop in West Hempstead so I can... Pray. Do my do my do morning prayers and all that kind of good stuff, and then get on. I was in the office by seven o'clock in the morning. So you're up at five. Oh, up at five, quarter to five, quarter to five, and you're twenty three, twenty four, twenty two, twenty three. Just trying to make it low level, up early, schlepping out, doing your thing, driving just... fifty five miles each way. Wow, God bless. It was, okay. it was it was it was a ride. Okay. And after being there for about you know two three months, we had negotiated with the software company that they that I was had formerly worked for, um, basically just to be able to walk away from the deal. And my job was now to find a software package that fit the hardware that they had bought, mm-hmm. which is like the worst position to be in. Because mm-hmm. normally you find the software and, and then, then you put the hardware, right? find the hardware to support it. And right. here we're back in, this is 1991. 91, that was, I don't know, was there 91? That's like pre-everything, Pre-everything. Right? That's Unix-based software. Yeah, I'm thinking like even internet, Google, I mean... Didn't exist. Blackberry, this so is without Google, prehistoric. Without Google, without the internet, how do I find a software company that's going to fit this hardware? So oh I know this God. is a little bit of a long story here, but it's, I think it's, it's going to be powerful as we move along. So we, we, we cut this deal. We walked away from the software. Now we're sitting with, I think it was $50,000. At that time, it's a small little distribution business, $50,000 in hardware. And I remember the president of the company, who was eventually my partner, we'll get to that, was he was just beside himself. You know, how, how, what are we going to do? So I, I, I started just buying trade magazines, just software trade magazines. To go, read about this. Going to the library, 
trying oh to gosh. trying to find magazines. Where do you start looking for software packages? So you know nothing about this right now. You're no, just, I, all I, you're doing is like, I got it, and then saying, I'm I'll going, figure it out. I'll figure it out. I'll tell you a great story. I started the first day I started working there full time. I know these people because I worked with them for about a year to try to get that soft. They knew me. I knew them. I come in. They're saying, oh, he's the computer guy. They sat me down in front of a a uh, an IBM PC running PC DOS. A 286. I don't know if your listeners even know what a 286 was. So it was a 286 and a 386. I don't even know what a 286 was. I don't know what you're talking <laughs> it was, about. It was Commodore 64. Is that <laughs> what you're talking about? <laughs> it's it's you know the, it was the Intel chip. It was a 286 and it was it was like a really fancy PC back then. Today, um, this microphone I'm talking into probably has more technology in it than that machine did. Wow. And they sat me down in front of a Lotus spreadsheet. And said, hey, we'd like to get our payroll on this thing called Lotus. Here, here you go. And you have I, no idea what you're doing. Never seen Lotus before, but I'm the computer guy. So what do you say? I got it. I got it. <laughs> I love that. And I remember I was, it was the, the, there was one PC in the company, and it was in one of the owner's offices. And I would sit in his office and just was you know, ripping through Lotus one, two, three books to try to figure out what is a spreadsheet. Where did you get the I got it mentality from? Like I, I can, I, I would, I would venture to say, as we continue in, on this arc of your story, that there are some themes that are going to come up a bunch of times, and this is why I'm doing this interview with you, because success leaves clues, and I'm there is a certain amount of things that come to you, but many times in life, it's it's habits, it's character traits, it's rituals that people put into practice that can be transferable. The I got it mentality. Where did it come from? And more importantly, do you feel that it's one of the most important things that you see today in business? Well, I, w- I want to put out a word right now. We're going to, I think, as, as a theme, I want to put out, put out the word because I've had a fortunate experience to just this week to, to roll out something we're calling our company's LNR distributors to, called the LNR Way. And I had to find words as nuggets. I call them nuggets that we're able to go mine these nuggets along the way in the history of our company. History, not the timeline, but the history of our company. And the history is really a stories. So a word that came to me, and I think it was, will answer your question, is relentless. Mm, I love that word. So relentlessness. And I, I, I make up words sometimes. That may be a made up word. And if it is... Relentlessness? Relentlessness. There's just a lot of S's in it. Kind of like <laughs> bilinguity, if you would. It would be another word that... So relentlessness. Relent- we'll tweet that out. Relentlessness. So relentlessness it's is... It's got to be a word. It, it, it's a word. So relentlessness, I'm, I don't think bilinguity is a word, but but it's it's part of our language. It's a, So we try to create a, a language of people, we try to be bilingual in our company. So relentlessness is a word in our history. And it comes from me. It came from me. So that got it mentality, I think, comes from um, being relentless is, is one of the ingredients. If we were baking the got it cake... So one of the ingredients I would throw into this cake would be relentlessness. relentless. Be relentless. And But what I'm hearing you say, because I speak to people a lot about this, and I myself try to be this, but where people get tripped up, and this is something that I'm finding more and more again, I actually spoke to, about this recently on, on, on one of the radio shows, is that people are trying to find the thing to be relentless in. So I'll be relentless when I find my my mission and when I find my skill, when I find my thing, when I'm a, when I find that like proverbial drum set that I could just play every night on. But like when I go to work, 
I'm not going to be relentless for that because I don't want to be a computer guy. And what I'm hearing you say, and this is why it's so nuanceical and I want to hit this home, which is that being relentless is not subject specific. It's form specific. You can be relentless for being a computer guy, even though, or maybe I'm wrong, you were not sure where that would take you. It just means that you're relentless for everything valuable in your life. So, you know what I'm saying? Like I speak to people and they're like, I'd love to be relentless, but I gotta find my thing. And the answer is, what's in front of you is your thing. It, you know, every day is your thing. It's, it's just how, it's like you see great people that like, um, you, you know, you hear stories about like Warren Buffett, for example, who plays bridge and hates to lose. And you wonder like, hey, it's bridge. And I was, I'm like, I was talking to someone, I'm like, they're like, what, why does he care? I'm like, he's Warren Buffett. Like, you can't be okay losing in one, not another. So your relentlessness is not in an area. It's just mentality for how you do everything in life. Yes. And, and, you know, yes, just about everything. Um, I'm not relentless, if you would, about, you know, as we mature and grow in business, you know, there, are, there are things I don't want to be relentless about mm-hmm. and, and I hope to find people to take care of things and let them be relentless about. But what? So I get to be relentless in my passion. But when I was starting out, I never viewed myself as a computer guy. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that I was viewing myself as an entrepreneur at that point. I didn't view myself as the computer guy. I, am, I viewed myself as, please, I want to solve problems. So this Excel, oh, that. this Excel spreadsheet deal was a problem that they were having, and it didn't matter. It really wasn't in IT. I mean, the person running accounting in that in the business at that time, that's really with a with a with a job with a task, getting payroll onto Lotus One Two Three is not an IT job. I didn't know that at the time, or I didn't say, you know, that's that's not my problem. That's the accounting. I was given a task and asked to do it. And your job is to and my job is to solve problems. I love that. So I was, I was, I took that and I, I remember it as if it was t- today. I remember the day of the week. It was a Friday morning and it was an early Shabbos. So Shabbos was starting, and I and I knew I didn't have a long time because I had to drive fifty five miles home. Right. For those that are listening that that aren't following, Shabbos is the Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath that starts on sundown on Friday night that you have to run towards. And and I had to leave early that day, and it was. And can I get this done? I, I remember specifically because I remember having that pressure. And I, I remember like I, I can picture myself there and figuring out. It took me a couple of days and I got it done. So the, the, this whole, that's where, you know, if, if you know, I, I like to find stories around things. I, I use that as a story when I speak to, you know, young entrepreneurs, young people who are getting in, involved in business. And, you know, we've had these conversations about being all in monetizing the, the moment that you're in, monetizing the moment, monetizing assets of your business. And if, if, you're, in, if you're an employee in a, in a company and you get labeled as the IT guy or labeled as the accounting guy or labeled as the operations guy, don't let that happen. Don't let yourself be labeled. Don't let yourself be labeled. You know, I just, I just interesting this morning, I, I just coached uh, someone going for a job interview. Mm-hmm. And what I, when I asked him to, and he's, he's working three years in a public accounting firm and he liked it. He, he, he really wants to get out there and work with people more and get away from, you know, working behind a desk all day. And, and it's great. So the first question I asked him, you know, understand what you learned from your existing position. 
And then when you go into the interview, many times people on an interview will ask you a question, where do you see yourself in three years? Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of that question because it's predicting a future. It doesn't really allow you to have vision. So, and, and if they ask you that question, I want you to ask them permission to ask the question differently. Ask them permission. And this is the question I, 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 I said. This would be a powerful thing. And because it allows you to start interviewing them hmm. rather than them interviewing you. Ask them the question is, you know, I've been following entrepreneurs. I've been following business leaders. In today's world, it's so easy on Google, YouTube, and it's just wonderful. You can find you know, people, my mentor, Lee Brower, for example, LeeBrower.com, constantly having interviews, CharlieHarari.com. Listen I appreciate to you, that. Listen Thank to you. your podcast. Thank you. I just, Thank I, just, you. I, just, I just, you know, I just finished your series on, which is the middle of your series on innovation. And I'm, oh, thank you. And it's great. We have a lot to talk about okay, there. Okay, good. But, <laughs> I look forward but, to it. But you're, you're, you've exposed yourself to these technologies. And it's, it's amazing that a young person in a, in a, working in a public accounting firm can get an insight into what is entrepreneurism. What, how do uh-huh. it's, it's, it's powerful. So ask them permission to ask this question. Ask, que- ask them permission to say, you know, I've, I've been following Charlie Harari uh, or Lee Brower or, or Mark Bodner and, and they, they have, and this, this content is out there for me to learn. And I've learned from them something called an empowering question. And that empowering question is, you know, looking, you know, three years from today, looking back at today, what has to have happened for me to feel and fill in the blanks. And I like to use for me to feel I've made meaningful progress. So ask them, ask them the question, you know, so I've learned about this empowering question. You're sitting at this interview and I've been asking myself that question. I really prepared before I came on this interview in three years today, what has to have happened for me to feel that I've made meaningful progress for the company that I'm now working for, as well as for my own professional career. Because what that allows you to do, first of all, you're asking them, you're asking them to permission that I want to be interesting, but I also want to be interested at the same time. I want to be interested in that question that you just asked me. And I, it allows you to, so by saying that, would you be willing to hear? So would you be willing to know the answer to the question I've been asking myself? And, and come prepared with that answer because mm-hmm. you can't prepare for the interview question. And this is a, a sidebar, but so it's such a powerful thing. And then allows you to give them your vision. Your vision. It also allows you now to interview them. Is this so? For example, I, the, the well, let's take a, well, let's take a, before you, before you continue on because this is this is good stuff. And I want I don't want to I don't want to run through it. Which is a minute ago, and this is important for for at least me. I, I, I'm looking at this and going, okay, you've got nuggets. I gotta I gotta get I gotta get it. Um, on the one hand, there is a concept of relentless in the moment right? Relentless in the moment. If you, if I would sit down as a computer programmer, knowing that I don't want to be a computer programmer in a distribution business, that's really small. That's 55 miles from my house every morning. And I would say in three years from now, what needs to happen is A, B, C, D, and E to feel happy. Doesn't that pull away from the task at hand? Like you right now, can you like, isn't it, what's the value of putting your head down and saying, all right, I think I want to be here. And in some ways, I can get there. So some of us have, I would probably draw a line down the middle and say, okay, there's a part of our lives that I can control. I can control, for the most part, how I act to people that are in my life and how I treat people. And so, but there are parts of my life that I can't control. 
and I, I'm working for a boss and I got to make a paycheck and I'm trying to launch a product and I hate doing these five things, but no one else is doing them but me. And there's so much happening that I cannot control. What do you say as an individual who's grown up through the system here? Now, you've gone, and we'll get to it in detail, but just for the listeners right now, you've gone from being the programmer to ultimately becoming the CEO of that and then growing it exponentially. So on the way up, do you think that it's relentless at the task at hand? Is it always thinking about the future and pulling back, or is it a combination of both? So what's... uh, Okay, so here's how I would look at that, and it's and it's so you there are different phases that you're at in in a in a job. You start the job and everything is shiny, and you're interested and engaged. And engaged is a big word, yeah. Because you know, especially in today's times, why is it a big word for? In in, in today's in, in for example, in my business today, we're in the process of measuring our employees' engagement. That's excellent, and and. But that means that you are looking at your employees for their engagement. It's a two-way street. I'm looking for my employees' engagement, and I put myself out there. Because to engage them more. To, to, not just to engage them, but how would... So what I'd say, okay, so we, this is a concept that we've learned, and it's not for today, and we can talk about it another time, about engaged leadership. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're a, in a management position in your company, so I have engaged leaders in my company, then I have engaged senior leadership. Mm-hmm. So engaged senior le- leadership in our company, CEO, CFO, president, you know, owners, that kind of deal. Engaged leaders are the people who are running things in the business. So there are different types of leaders and won't get into the detail, but can you tell me three things over the next 90 days that you'll that you'll do to get, become more engaged based on these definitions of an engaged leader. And we give them, mm-hmm. you know, what three things are you willing to work on? Would you be willing to work on three things in the next 90 days? So for, for an employer like yourself, which is why I'm going here, that you're looking at your employees and you're trying to measure their engagement. So an employee, what we don't realize is, what people don't realize as employees is that your level of engagement is value into itself for the employer because that's what we're looking for the heart not just the hands and, and you know and, and we really approach it and this and if and, and if you approach it from this mindset it's very powerful because my mindset is is that everyone in our company we have a thousand employees every one of wow. those thousand employees every one of them wants to be engaged every one of them intention is to be engaged. Every one of them's intention is to honor our agreements that we make. Every one of them is to honor the principles of our, I believe that that's where I start from. Mm -hmm. So when I ask the question, would you be willing to work on, tell me three things that you'd be willing to work on and we're going to measure against over the next 90 days, but in the same breath, I'm willing to put myself out there. Tell me three things that you'd like to see leadership become more become more engaged in and so what i'm doing is i'm making now a commitment to them two-way street so we just did this process and i have on my desk right now a stack of of documents we had a meeting with 25 of our key leaders in our company and they asked and this was there was a common theme was around communication from senior leadership so we've now come up with three things so within 24 hours, we got back to them with three things that senior management is going to work on around communication that they would that was a common theme from 25 people. Mm-hmm. And I have a stack of papers and we put that into a software package and we're going to measure those things in 90 days when we get back together on video conferencing and, and measure that stuff. So when you talk about, you know, 
different phases of that going back to where we started here, different phases. So phase one is you get into the job and you're all excited. And relentlessness is really about the tasks that you're given right. around the job. So if you're a computer programmer in accounting, it's about that spreadsheet. It's about that program. It's about that job. But as you become proficient, if you would, remember as an employer, the first, That's very good. The first 90 to 120 days is, is dating really. You know, well, it, even in every task, you're in, saying, every, in every job, first, in every task, even the sure. first step you're saying is relentlessness. When you're giving a task, go for it. Stop asking. Stop worrying. Stop fetching. Just take a task and own it. Then you're saying you reach then a level of proficiency. Because if you do your task well, you'll be proficient. So what happens then? So then, so then, so proficiency sets in. Aha, it doesn't, you so, don't become proficient, so it, it, it happens to you. It sets in and then what happens is it, it get, becomes easier because you've done it now. You, you, have, you have repetitiveness. Right, right. So you have, right. It's a re- your mind it, has adapted around. It's a repetitive process and your mind is, so now, now what happens is, mm, so now. I love this. So now when you talk about engagement as an employee or a manager or a leader, I want to become more engaged. Let me go look for things. How can I monetize this particular job, this opportunity in the company? It's just because you've been labeled a, an accountant or a computer programmer, can I become more engaged? I walked through the warehouse and I noticed, I walked through the plant, I walked through the office and I noticed, mm. and I noticed. You know, I, this, by the way, just, just, this is really a recipe for success. And I, I want to make sure that people are fully getting this because I love what you just said. You open with relentlessness, then you reach proficiency. But the proficiency is is the it more than it's just that you're good at something. It's the proof that you can you're a player. Right? Like this happens to a lot of friends of mine that are running companies and they're hiring younger, younger people. Right? We live in a world today where everyone wants to be Mark Zuckerberg. If like you're twenty five and you don't you're not you're not at least worth one billion, it's like, well maybe I'm not smart enough. So if he can do it, then I can do it. So guys come into these companies, they're there for 15, 20 minutes and like it, you know, they're sort of like suggesting to the CEO who's been there for 20 years that, oh, by the way, you know, if you don't mind, can I just sit in the, in your chair for the next, you know, 10 years? Because I got this. I was here. I know how to get around to the coffee machine. And what what they're missing is that, yeah, there's a lot of opportunity. And maybe the younger generation can access opportunity quicker than anyone older. But there's a process. First, you want to see if you're a team player, relentlessness. Then you want to see if you can be proficient in something, proficiency. And here is where I think you're bringing something incredible to the table. What you're saying is stop looking out. Look, You can look out, but not beyond the horizon. Take what you have and expand it. Monetize the opportunity, meaning take your opportunity and then look up. Walk the floor. Pay attention to what the boss needs. Don't ask to go someplace else. Just ask to expand, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, because I wanted to add to proficiency because proficiency can easily become complacency. Excellent. Wow. So if proficiency becomes complacency, that's when you start looking around for other opportunities elsewhere. Because you know, I'm now I'm proficient, but I'm complacent. Uh-huh. So now that I, I'm seeing, I'm seeing. Okay there's nothing else for me here. Uh-huh. And and your mind starts doing that stuff. They don't care about me. Uh-huh. They don't like me. Because they're giving me more work to they're, do. They're, they're, they're not challenging me. What you, you're not being challenged. So today you talk about millennials coming this. into the business world today. 
I have a 62-year-old operations guy. I ask him to jump. He asks, how high, when can I come down? <laughs> if I had a 25-year-old operations guy working for me, I ask him to jump. They say, why? <laughs> right. Right. Which is not necessarily a bad no, thing, it's, but it's just you need to follow the process. You need to follow the process. Why? Right. And it, so, so what I call that, I, and I've, I've coined a term for it. It's not my term. My, the president of my company coined this term, and it's ingenious because when he became president and he made the, we made the announcement, he's now the president of the company, he said something that will stick with me forever. And it's called, I'm going to use my novice eyes to look around. Excellent. I'm going to challenge the status quo through novice eyes by asking questions. And, and, and that was like, wow. So let's, let's talk about this 25-year-old millennial in a company who's, getting, who's in proficient slash complacent. Uh-huh. Now so let's teach him this approach called novice eyes challenging of the status quo. Let's, let me use my novice eyes and let's, if, if as business owners, as more mature as you know, Gen Xers or baby boomer business owners, if we, if we give them permission, and that's our job, is to give them permission, enable them, engage them to use their novice eyes to look around and say, why are we packing boxes that way? Why do we use this software? I know a different software, but, but do it with the way we, we're allowed. And here's where the real point is if you're going to do this. Here's where the ideas that they have, the first person they have to sell it to is themselves. Mm-hmm. I have an idea, great. Let me first sell it to my, them. To, let me sell the idea to myself first. I do it myself, by the way, by asking myself some impactful questions. All right, so let, let, let's slow this down because this is good stuff. And this, I'm guessing, and we're going to go through this in a minute, but for those that are listening right now, we're on with we're on with Mark Bodner, the CEO of LNR Distributors. Uh, we're talking about, I believe the the process. I mean, you are literally for those paying attention. This is uh, yeah, this is you're laying out the path, and you're saying okay, which which is great. Which is this isn't this isn't you know industry specific. I'm not telling you how to be great in distribu- distribution. I'm telling you. The form. This is in every industry, in tech, and in real estate, and finance, and in, in, in nonprofits, and teaching. I would even go as parenting, which we, we open up with is with his relentlessness to task. Then we move to proficiency. We try to outplay complacency by looking and expanding. By look, engage. When you mean engage, you mean expanding out. And how do you expand out of your horizons? is you put on what's called novice eyes. You you start to look at things and go, well, why? You, by asking why, but here's the key to what you're saying, is that asking why has to come after proficiency. Because if the answer is because you don't know what you're talking about, that doesn't lead a business anywhere. You have to be proficient. In so, something. Before you can ask why to other things. Correct. Because you have to show at the very least, the company that you're worth it and that you're not just coming and asking questions and you're living in the land of la-la land. But at the same time, you have to show yourself that you know how to get to a level of proficiency in anything before you can. And then once you're there, you now have to say, okay, I see something new. I have to ask myself some impactful questions. So then what do you do when that idea, you're going through the steps, you're relentless at task, you're proficient, you're not complacent, and then you're engaged novice eyes, challenge status quo. Now you've got the idea in your head. Now what do you do next? So ask yourself some impactful questions. Question number one, what's the biggest difference? I want to change this. What's the biggest difference it will make? Question number two, what's the biggest 
what does the finished product look like? So I, I so what's a, so I get packed question one, what's the biggest difference this, this will make? Great. What does the finished product look like? In essence, what you're asking yourself, you know, going to, you know, the, the famous, you know, TED Talks out there on like Simon, so you're asking is really, is that the why? Why should I, why should we do this? What's the biggest difference it will make? What's the big, what, what does the finished product look like? And then I love this question. What's the best thing that would happen if we do this? If we're going to change this, what's the best, what's the, what's the, the result? What's the best thing that, what is it? What's the best thing that will come? What's the worst thing that happens if we don't do it? Because what, what that does, okay, so, you know, uh, I, I see them using the stamp machine, but we can get an automatic stamp machine. Okay, it, to a company's bottom line, that's going to add $100 a year. Mm. Okay, so what's the biggest difference this will make? Eh, not that big a difference. And so shelve that idea. Mm-hmm. See, if, if you can't sell yourself on the idea through some of these impactful questions, then you're not going to sell someone else. I love it. I, I I one time was speaking to an individual, and he was he was telling me something, and I I was um I was trying to pitch him on a project I was working on, and <laughs> he like stopped me midway. He's like, "No, nah, I'm not interested." I said, "Even let me finish the pitch." He goes, "No, nah, I'm interested." I said, "How how do you how are you uh, why are you not interested for?" So he says, "Look at your eyes." I said, "I can't look at my eyes. You have a mirror." He goes, "I've seen you get excited." You're not that excited. Like, I've seen you be excited. I've watched you when your eyes light up and bah. And I said to myself, I don't know what the heck the guy's talking about, but I want to do what he's doing because he's excited about it. You're pitching me on this thing. You don't fully buy it. Like, you think it's a good idea, but it's not, like, aligned with your, your being. We call it vetting. Vetting, vetting the, the idea. The idea has to be vetted before you bring it to me. So in Great. So, so the culture that we've, we've installed, and this is another key point we'll talk about, the culture we've installed in our company Installing a culture is like installing software, by the way. It has to be learned. It has to ensue. Not You can't pursue culture change. I love so we've it. installed this culture like installing a new piece of software. And now we work. We use tools to help us get there. So you've installed this culture of, of you know, it's okay to challenge the status quo. It's okay to come with ideas. But vet the ideas first beforehand. So that means that anyone from the shop floor to the C-level executive suite can do it. But they all have to answer the same impact. Oh, I love questions. it. Because what happens sometimes is that in some of these cultures, and that's what I spoke about this morning, is it's like idea, 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 idea. And like it's just idea. It's like an, it's like an idea. Idea frenzy. overload. And you're saying ideas can work. Vet them before you bring them up. Now, this, so, by the way. Sell yourself. This is unbelievable because any – with what you're laying out is almost like – it's like – the map at it, I don't want to say jail, but let's just say, like the map underneath the prison. Because if you're a regular, so to speak, employee, I love that. Wow. and you're saying, okay, how do I get out of here? I'm stuck in this little job and I hate it or I don't like it, or better yet, I, I want more. I don't, know, I don't know the path. Every time I bring up an idea, they, 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 they shoot it down. And I just don't feel like I'm where I am. What you're saying here is follow the path. And when you get up to the level of this last or the fourth step, what you're, what you're saying is, you have to ask yourself these questions and vet them so that when you're presenting an idea, it's presentable. Now, I would venture to say in your, in your work, because I can see this in my life as well, there are people that have a billion ideas. After a while, you stop listening to them. Not because their ideas aren't good. It's because, like you said, it's idea overload. It's, it's like, you know, how much more do I need to hear? I want stuff to get done, if you know what I mean. So he goes, and, and I, I want to just, and I'm not just talking here to the 
employee side. And I'm hoping the people who own businesses, doesn't matter the size. If you have one employee, a hundred or a thousand, it's your responsibility to create the culture of challenging, of bringing the ideas. Employees. The employer's job is to challenge is to, employees. Is to, is to create that culture where it's okay. You need to give your employees permission. They will not just start to, most people. Now, you know, I would say I'm, I'm probably a little bit different because that's, I just, I was, you know, it's my MO. I'm, it's my, I'm factory installed to do this. But people are not necessarily factory installed to challenge. They need to be given permission. So as the employer side of this, give your employees permission to do this. And it could be, come up with your impactful questions, come up with a system that they can come up with ideas and bring them to you that they first sold their themselves on that it's going to make a big difference in the company. It's going to be a good bottom line you know, increase in profit because that's what we're interested in at the end of the day. An idea of a change for the sake of change, no one's interested in doing. You know, Packing brown boxes instead of white boxes, that's not going to bring anything to the bottom line necessarily. So if, if you can sell yourself the idea and give them the criteria that you're looking for and they sold it, now, we, now we're getting good, solid, vetted ideas and we could take it to stage two. We can vet the idea, and now we can strategy plan around it and put a team together to work on the idea if, it's, if it now get past this mustard with you. So it's the employee, once you're given permission, or if, you're in a, or if you can bring it to the employer, but it's much better if the employer is giving the employee permission. Here's my staff. This is how we're going to do it. Give them permission to do it, and now have a process in place to be able to do it. And now if you're sitting in, in a job and you've become complacent because you're proficient in what you're doing, you can go to other places and and going back to how, you know, that Lotus one, two, three spreadsheet on that Friday morning that I was given, I had no idea. I just did it. Right. I just I just did it. I figured it out. And I and I went and I dove and I dove into it and I and I ended up doing and and I was successful. And that's the next piece is, okay, wow, I just went outside of my box. And look at me, I, I did it. I was successful. So now I've got confidence. But before you get to this being successful, what, what, what value do you bring to being resilient? Because here's what I'm thinking. You're, you're, you're running a business and you're, you may, you're the exception, right? That's why your company exploded and grew. But let's assume that you're in a regular place and many employees, I know, I know I have listeners to the boardroom that tell me that they're, they get pumped, they bring ideas to their, their employees, their employers, and they get shot down. So I would assume that most ideas fail and are quote unquote not uh, successful. So even if it's a good idea, that somehow it doesn't integrate into the business or the employers aren't um, able to identify it. What, what do you give towards the trait of resilience? Now, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking sports. And I remember when I used to play basketball um, for a team, I used to have a coach that would really drive me. And in high school, I sort of resented him for it because I wanted to be patted on the back. But as I got older, I started realizing that he gave me the permission, if you will, to be creative on the court. And when I, stu- when I, when I failed, not because I didn't try, not because I, I, I failed, when I didn't try hard or I was, he called me out. And because I was 17 years old, I had, you know, you know, my self-worth was being dictated by everybody else. Welcome to teenagehood. But in hindsight, 
I would much rather a coach that would call you out because he, he wants the best out of you than sort of nod you through it and say, good job and keep you where you are. But as a player or an employee, if you're not resilient, you're not going to come back. You're like, right, don't you find that with your employees or with yourself that like, it's not the first idea that makes it. Sometimes it's the hundredth idea that makes it. And if, you do, if you're going to get knocked out along the way because you mess up or you have a bad idea or you make a mistake or, or you get called out on a meeting because your thinking isn't as clear as the person that's 10 years your senior. So as the employer, do you give a value to resilience in your employees that keep on coming back even when they fail? Yeah. You know, so... That's a great question. I would say if, if you asked me that question a couple of years ago, the culture was, okay, I'm in finance and I have an idea about something outside of my box. The answer to the question was sit down, go back to your spreadsheet, go back to your balance sheet, go back to something. Right. We got that. Right. We got so it covered. We got it. We don't need you. Go, but we don't need you. Go back. So it's... It, it re- really requires both sides to be engaged. In so, this. what do you do if you're an employee side and you keep on getting hit? And what what do you do if you're, you know, because the people that are listening to this, I, I I hope are individuals that are growing and trying, and they're young or even old, and they're saying I they're young at heart. So, what do you do if you're in a situation where um, no one's listening? So, if if you keep on suggesting and it's falling on deaf ears, and we you know they say. Thank you so much, but sit down. Right. And that's what, that's what you're hearing. Sit down, go back to what you were doing, and let us handle that. We got that. Mm-hmm. And you clearly know they don't. So, you know, what, what I would do, and, and, and this is similar to that interview coach, the coaching of that interview I was doing today with this young guy who's, who's trying to get out of public accounting. And, and it's so impactful to do this, and I'm so happy you asked me this question because I'm the opportunity to, to, to really give over a nugget here that's great. If you sat down with someone and said, y- you know, I'm, I've brought you some ideas and I want you to know where they're coming from. Okay, I, when I look into the future and I say, and I ask myself that same question, you know, in a year from today, looking back at today, knowing what I know today, what would I like to see for meaningful progress for me? I'm looking for the opportunity. So what I'm doing when I bring you the ideas, Mr. Employer, I'm looking for the opportunity to contribute more to this organization. I'm not just bringing ideas for the sake language. of language. Speak, you know, sp- you know, don't go back to your desk and put your head down and sulk over it. It could be you don't understand what may be going on with that oh, employer. He may have just been rejected on a on a credit line from his bank. Then you know there may be the P and L may have come out for that quarter wasn't where he wanted it to be. You know a, a customer may have just yelled and screamed at you. Don't know the shit before you came there. So you know it's it's the employee also needs to give a little bit of the benefit of the doubt to the employer. Maybe they're having a bad day. Mm-hmm. They're human beings too. Communicate. And say, I'm not just bringing you these, even if you get rejected once, twice, three times, I'm bringing you these ideas because when I look at the, when I look into the future, looking back as if it already happened, here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing that we can be so much better and I want to contribute. Now, if that, at that point, you have a really good indication, you have an indicator right here. An indicator is, okay, am I working for an engaged company, Mm -hmm. a company that wants engagement? And company that, that celebrates because if you're doing this, 
then that you really want to be working for a company. And if they're not going to embrace it, it may be time right. to start to start looking around because at because you really if you've answered that question, you know, in three years from today, in a year from today, in eighteen months from today, in three months from today, looking back at today, what has to have happened? And that's a that's a very powerful question because what it does you're really predicting the present because it already happened. You get to tell a story. Right. So I'm working for a, you know a boss that is engaged with me, that's open to new ideas. That and you know again, I'm I'm starting from a place where I give every, everyone that benefit of the doubt. I believe every employee is coming from a, a you know a sense that I want to give, and an employer is giving them permission to give. It's a it's a it could create a, a very. We need to talk to each other and this. And here, and here comes you know, the, the the topic of expectation and measurement. Because before we get to that, before we get to expectations, this is I think I want to just nail down this 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 step here, and we get to expectations because you're really we're really trying to chart this path out. This is a very practical, tangible, real path um, of of um, of what you're setting out here. This is the the idea of language that that you mentioned, right? Really important. Many times, this is another thing we spoke about. Check out today's uh, show. Um, many times your content is right, but your packaging is wrong, right? You may have a good idea, but you're using it in terms of my idea or, and the boss hears, the employer hears, oh, I, got, I don't have time to, or I don't have money, or I don't need this. And so the language needs to be, okay, what language does he or she speak? So if they're worried about money or they're worried about P&Ls, they're worried about bottom lines, this could affect your, this could save us. This, using the language that someone else speaks allows you to take your ideas and put it into a vehicle that moves. And now, I think that okay. that's a big issue that's happening today. Can, can you imagine if you have the right language and you've already sold yourself yourself on the idea? Yeah, it's unbelievable. Now, now you have, a, and I'm speaking to myself. So you understand, without impactful questions to myself when I want to do something as the owner of the company, as a CEO of the company, I will not do something until I've sold myself on the idea because I have, you know, my world is I don't want traffic lights. If I had my way, I'd drive you know down, the there'd, be no, there'd be no traffic lights, everything is just a go, survival of the fittest, get out of my way. <laughs> so, you know, let's see what happens. Now, we all know without traffic lights, what happens is a blackout and the traffic, it's chaos. Right. So, I've been fortunate enough to put people on my team with me that are my traffic lights. I try to convince them that they don't have to be red lights. I'll take, I'll take at, at worst a blinking red, but try to be yellow lights, slow me down. But The problem is that you can't make right turns in Brooklyn on a red light. At least we can keep, keep on moving us here in Long Island. Yeah, He's trying to sell me on Long Island, I aren't am, you? I am. We'll get you here. So, so, what, so what this whole... This whole idea of selling yourself first, I have to, before I can bring an idea to the president of the company, to my president, to, to my VPs or whatever, I, I first have to sell myself. I use the same tool. We're, so now we have in our company bilinguity. There's that word. Mm. We're bilingual. We have a language and it's called impact filters. It's called impactful questions. And when, we, when I go and have an idea and say, okay, Mr. President of the company, Mr. VP of Operations, Mr. CFO. Here's my idea. Here's my impact. I, I give them the impact filter. And we sit down, we review together. Here's, here's, here's what I good. see. And let's go through. Here's, here's what I see. If we do this, here's the biggest difference we'll make. 
What's the best thing that's going to happen if I think, I think this is the best thing that's going to happen. So shoot holes in it. And if they start buying it, and you know what happens many times? They find things, reasons why we should do it in addition to the things I found. So now we have great ideas. Now let's go plan how to implement mm. if we decide that this is something we're going to work on. So as the owner, oh, as the great. CEO, I get shot down if I haven't sold myself, so I don't even bring the idea. I get shot down if they, well, you know, you think that's the best case scenario if we do it, but here's the worst thing that happens if we do do it. Our freight costs are gonna go up, things that I didn't see. So it, it, it creates a conversation in an organized, this is the word, vetted way. That's amazing. So if you're an employee, you're listening to this, this is how you have to run your company. And this is, I think, the balance between innovation and execution right here because I'm sorry creativity and execution right because creativity it, if it's not structured properly can go off the rails which is what happens many times in many companies the reason why they don't innovate is because they got to work and you know innovation becomes just some exercise in like wishful thinking. And in other companies, the reason to innovate is because nothing can ever get done because everyone's so focused on doing, 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 doing. And I just really get down to what you're saying is that the level of vetting an idea is so impactful because it does two things. One, it shows the person that has to accept the idea, the boss or whatever, that this is thought through. So when they don't say yes or no, they're looking at multiple reasons behind an idea so that they go, oh, wow, they see that you're real and they can actually play with the elements of it. But two, it allows even the boss's ideas to be vetted. And so the whole culture changes from one in which the guys in the top make ideas and the guys in the bottom you know, follow through to the ones in where everybody makes ideas because sometimes the guys in the bottom have better ideas than the guys in the top because they're actually out on the street with the customers. They're actually Absolutely. talking to people on the phone. They're actually the ones, you know, I, I always ask guys, when people say to me, that I listen to the show, and my first question is, what'd you like? What do you want to hear? And they're like, look at me like, why are you asking me? I'm like, because I want to know. Like, I, I, I'm, not, I'm sitting behind the microphone. You know what I'm saying? The two of us sitting in an empty room here talking to each other. It'd be amazing if people would say, I want to, because you want to get as close to the ground as you can get so that you can provide the best product or service that you had. So, the idea, though, is if you think it through properly and articulate it, that process of articulation of idea, or as you say, vetting, is not just so that you can get it sold, it's so that you can actually check the idea works, and that even if that particular idea gets rejected, you start to train your brain, and you start to create a reputation that you're thoughtful. That's more important than the idea. Because that's the character trait that's going to take you who knows where. Exactly. From it will take you from, you know, being the computer guy, to the you know into a sales guy, into an operations guy, into a finance guy, into a vice president, and ultimately CEO. That's, which is which was your path. Which is my path. Right. And 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 just to run through that a little bit because I know that the hour is getting late. So you went from say that again, computer. Sales, finance, VP, and CEO. And never gave up computer. That was still my core job. Computers. Computers. So you added. You I didn't I replace. Just, I kept on adding more. And so if I, if, you know, the, the boy, I said, I want to get involved in sales. I said, knock yourself out, but you still got to get your computer job done. Mm. Great. So nights, Sundays, my own time, and all of a sudden, wow, he opened up 10 customers. How did he do that? 
you know, I just relentlessness. So that's something that I think many, many people don't fully appreciate because success today seems like it's talent based and not perseverance based. And obviously everyone needs a certain amount of talent to get to the game. But we think that success is like, well, those few would ever get. But what I'm hearing you say is this is really insightful, which is you don't give up jobs. You increase responsibility. And if you want to have a chance to cut the line and to be in front, you got to be willing to to kill it, to, to sleep a little less, to give up your hobby. Someone says to me, someone asked me the other day, like they had some issue and they just didn't have enough time in the day. So I said to them, I'm like, who do you follow in sports? And they're like, well, you know, Giants, Knicks. I'm like, give them up. They look at me like, what are you, what are you joking me? I'm like, I'm all for sports, but you can't, follow four teams and expect to jump ahead of the curve of a company and they, they look at me like what do you mean like as if i was give, i'm asking him to give up a child to an orphanage i'm like listen they don't need you and they'll be there for you when you come back it'll be a different person but you're not rooting for the person you're rooting for the jersey that he wears right if that guy leaves the team and goes another team you hate the guy why don't you just give up the knicks for five years and in those five years, whatever hours that you were spending just doing your hobbies, make your job your hobby, and you'll you'll this time instead of watching them on whatever you'll you'll be at this at the at the courtside seats, and we don't appreciate that we have more time in the day than we give. We have Sundays. Sundays aren't like do nothing because the world's we have nights we have weekends we have holidays we can fit in more time we just don't want to because we want things to come easy but they don't come easy i'll earn it i've heard you say more than once on your show and i'm an avid listener of your show i appreciate so i really i and i'm not saying that to you know just to make you feel good i i listen and i gain and Thank I you. learn, you know, it's, it, it's really, really great stuff. But I've heard you talk about that segment on, you know, getting up early mm. and waking up and, and look at successful people. Well, he's successful already. Why is he waking up at five o'clock in the morning? Because that's what got him there. Right. You know, yeah, I used to, you know, that's what I, you know, I start my day early. And it was, I can, the, the, by the time 8.30 comes around, I'm up at three, three and a half hours already, and I've accomplished, I've, I have check marks, I have three or four check marks already done on things that I wanted to accomplish, whether they're personal or business. But I got, 8.30 in the morning, I got three or four check marks on a list of things, checked in my head, checked off. Wow. So you, you believe that the, 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 the starting your day early routine is critical because you're up, ready to roll before the world shows up. You know, I, 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 yes, I spoke to someone at once about, you know, planning their day because I never plan my day because it just never works out anyway. And so, and what I told them was, I can guarantee one thing. If you don't plan, I can guarantee you it will never work out. Right. But if you do plan your day 50% of the time, right. does it work out? Right. Or not 50%, of the, 50% of the things that you planned on will get done? Maybe. Right. And it was pretty, it Amazing. was, it was silence. So, you know, planning your day planning your day and planning ahead. And there's some great tools out there. We don't have to get into that. But, you know, there's, it's, you know, again, so we, this relentlessness is how we started this, you know, and then proficiency, complacency, these, these things, don't let them take over. Now, eventually the time came where I couldn't be the IT guy anymore. My responsibilities were too big. I was too valuable 
someplace else. Right. So once I made myself so valuable, now remember my proficiency is IT, computers back in the day, but I learned sales by making it, as you said, I love the word, my hobby instead of the Giants. And I'm a huge Giants fan. <laughs> but, you know, I, I forgot. I did, and I did figure it up. You know, the Knicks were easy, are easy to give up. Right, right. So, Especially now they're easy to give yeah, up. They're really easy to give up. But, but I, I, Even the Giants are getting easier to give up. But, uh, yeah. I, but you know what? 16 games, so I love about football. <laughs> 16 games and we'll get them next year. <laughs> I got to tell you, my, just my personal story. I gave up the Yankees. My life changed when I started giving up some of these teams. I, I mean, when you give up, it doesn't mean you stop loving them. It's just that you stop. So when Yankee, for those who, who remember these days, when the, remember when the when Yankee Boston series when the Yankees were up three games and they yeah so I remember the pain that I was in at the end of that series like the, the agony that I felt on, sitting on the floor I couldn't watch it I was listening to it on the floor in my kitchen and the agony because it's not like you go up three not to, to the Red Sox it's like you're losing to evil you know what I'm saying it's like <laughs> to lose it's just it, the agony of it was even worse to me than when um, they lost um, to to um, Arizona Arizona oh when Mariano gave up the, the, yeah, the single. That, that, that cheap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was worse. And I remember saying to myself, I, I, I can't. I got too much going on in my life. I love the Yankees. My son was, I think, four at the time. I said, I just need a year. And I, I, I withdrew for one year. No games, no listening. And it was okay. Like, I, I, I found more time in my life. I actually picked up a few things that, like, I never would have done before. Now, obviously, when you have a son who's 13, it's a little more complicated. You want him to, you know, the, he has interest. But... Even if, like you're saying, you're a fan of something, and everyone has their fans and their hobbies, and some people it's sports, some people it's other things, you have to be a fan of your life first. You have to be a fan of your success, and you have to also know where you are in life. You know, you have to know what there are moments and and years that are critical years. Like I tell law students, I, whatever you're doing, your first year of law school, like stop, like do not do not pass go, do not collect $200. Like your life will restart in year two. You have to understand this is a moment of opportunity. One L is not like two L. And there are moments in your company's career where the company's going through a big change. There are moments in your career. There are moments where, you know, your kids are, you know, home for one more year before they go to, you know, school or college. You have to understand that your time is flexible and valuable and play to that. What I want to do for the last segment before we conclude here, because we can talk, the two of us, all day, and I want to make sure our listeners are getting things in a much t- in a tighter way. You mentioned something the last second ago that I know is a big, we spoke about this before, and I want to really delve a little bit further into you, into that, which is the idea of value. And something that me and you have spoken a lot about, and I speak about a lot, is that how do you make money? How do you become successful? How do you grow your company? Like, what's your secret, if you will, of success? And I would assume, and tell me if I'm right or wrong, is that one of your secrets of your exponential growth in your company was the way you approach clients, which is, I want to give you value. I don't want you to give me business. Talk to me about that. That's, that's, uh, so I'm, I, I'm so happy we're going here because I just was just, gave a talk on this just this week, so it's perfect. So the way we do that, and the way I, I, I suggest that, that people do that, is the concept of interested versus interesting. And I wanna explain that for a second. You know, I've, I have this, you know, I've, I've started using this a lot, and I, and I find that it's, it's so useful. Um, 
and I and I pause on useful because that's that's, that's a a word that is is in my head. But interested versus interesting is if you're going to a client and that let's just say for fun, let's play the scenario. It's a new client and it's a cold call. So people would people want to go to their comfort zone, and their comfort comfort zone is to talk about themselves, and they can spend twenty minutes talking about themselves, and the persons who gave them that meeting, that time is valuable. So I want to talk about being interested. So the way we need to approach business today, and today the world moves moves so much faster. So if you're Whatever industry you are, I promise you the person sitting across the table will give you credit for the things you're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. So if you're a money manager, I money, we manage money very well. And, this is, and we manage money very well because we have an office here and we have this system there and we do that there. I'm a manufacturer and we have you know, a, a billion square feet of manufacturing and we have trucks that deliver. I'm in distribution and we have... Okay, so you show them pictures of your plant, you show them pictures of your trucks, you show them pi- You're being interesting. You're being interesting about something that they already give you credit for. So mm-hmm. duh, you're a money manager. Duh, you're a manufacturer. Duh, you're a distributor. They give you, I, I guarantee in today's world, because they've already researched you online, right, right, they right. know you have trucks, they've seen your warehouse right. already, uh, they've got point. all that stuff, you got, but you're going to your comfort zone because you're uncomfortable or not confident enough to be interested. So the way we just did a sales presentation, this is new for us, but it's so powerful, so I'll sh- I wanna share it with the, with the audience and with you, is this is how you're interested. So I walk into a, a, a chain of supermarkets, and that's what we sell to one of our customer bases, supermarkets. I walk into a very large chain, and everyone, if I, I don't wanna see who they are, but they, and I say, okay, great. I've been to your stores, and what I've seen in your stores is high out of stocks. So your shelves, you know, you have, this is a lot of out of stocks, and that's a big issue. In out of stocks, you, you, product not there. Okay. Okay. There's oh, a spot out of for, stock. It's Got out it. of stock, and we, we call them out of stocks. Right. And retailers measure a lot of them. And they count out of stocks. And that's how you get measured as a manufacturer or distributor. So I see you have an out of stock issue. So I, I'll I'll pose the question here again. I'm asking permission to be interesting about what I think they may be interested in, and then I'm quiet. So I say, okay, great. So Mr. Retailer, we have another, we have other customers who had the same issue where of high out of stocks and that a very similar order process to your order process. I've done my research and I know they do computer-based ordering, human beings aren't ordering and okay. So I've done my research before I went in and I, and, and I have power now because I'm speaking about their specific, what I perceived to be their specific issue. Now with the, the danger here is they can be saying, really? You think that's, I don't have that problem. You know, they're gonna get defensive, but it's so much more powerful than talking about yourself. So Mr. Retailer, I see you have a high level of out of stocks. Would you be interested in learning how we've solved that problem for some of our other clients. Be quiet. <laughs> You've just asked them permission to talk about something that you think they want to hear. You've asked them permission to be interesting about something that they are interested in. Because I'm going in, in there with, that's my sales pitch. Oh, I love that. I'm going in there. Value, giving them that's, value. That's the value. So, you know, my watt, one of my watts is speed. I know I can do it faster than another distributor or faster than them buying direct from a manufacturer. So 
I think what I, the watt that this customer may want to buy is speed. So would you be interested in learning about our process that we've named, our speed process, how we can go faster and therefore you'll be in stock more, which means you'll sell more. So what I'm telling you, I'm already going to pay for my upcharge that, I'm willing to, that you're going to have to accept by buying from me. Because, because you're making it back on the show. You're going to make it back and you're going to be. So I, I, I've identified the mm-hmm. problem and I have a solution before I walked in. And I said, would you be interested in learning how other customers of mine or other retailers who had the same speed problem as you have, you, as I see you have, because of your high level of autosocks, would you be interested in learning our solution to that? And then I'm quiet. Now let them talk. So it's, it's such a, it's, it, that's how you, that's how you talk about your value proposition, not showing, you know, I've got, you know, a million square feet of warehouses and 50 trucks and a thousand employees and all, they know all that already, or they don't really care. They care about themselves and they want to, they, they, you're there and they agree to a meeting because they have a problem. So try to probe, learn ahead of time what the problem is and then find your value that can solve that problem. So it's almost it's 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 really it's a really powerful way to bring value to a meeting and then if they ask you questions well if then if they do ask you questions about your distribution centers or your trucks or your your process or your how you manage money or how you you know how you do balance sheets and peanuts then you, then that's easy for you that's in your wheelhouse your wheelhouse you don't you don't have to prepare for, for that, what you need to prepare for is understand what kind of value can I bring this person and do I have the solution and walk in there asking that permission if you can talk about that. Right. I think that that's exactly the shift in business now, which is it's really not about getting someone to do you the favor and using you as a client. It's really about the ability to articulate. This comes back to our earlier point, but this is for guess for customers, that you're not there to get business. You're there to make them more money. And when you make them more money, they'll pay you for that. And I think if people saw what they do for a living, if you're in business, as my job is to make somebody more money, my boss more money, my clients more money. My, if I can make somebody more money, you know what'll end up happening? They'll pay me for that. So I'm not getting paid because I'm a good guy, or I'm related, or I'm here forever, or you know it's too hard to find a new person. I'm getting paid because I am the most invaluable source in my silo for making somebody else better. Exactly. Now, what, what's and and if, give you a visual of that. So when you're talking about yourself, the arrows are pointing at you. I, me, it's all about me. Right. When I'm asking them and I'm talking about them, the arrows are pointing the other way. And I will tell you from experience, and and this is like, I, I don't guarantee anything, but it's almost like a guarantee. If you take the approach and and how can I do this with the arrows pointing outward? The other, I'm here to take to bring you a value. The result of that, me bringing you a value, will mean profit for me. So the reason why I'm here is to bring you value. The result of me bringing you value will be profit for me. So I'm not doing, I'm not here at this meeting so that I can make a profit. I'm here in this meeting to solve your issue. Right. That's my why I'm here. And if I can, the result will be, I will make a profit. Right, and that—that's really where the where the where the key is here, because when the why 
is about me making a profit. The arrows are pointing at me. And now I'm using you so that I can make a profit. No, no, I'm here to help you. I'm pointing the arrows at you. Right. And that, that's so a that, good example that we can think, maybe we can just sort of wrap up with this piece, which is, I think that, I think the visual of the arrows, maybe the whole, maybe like sort of the visual for the, for this entire approach, which is, it really does depend on where you point the arrows. Because if the pointing the arrows internally, you're not going to be relentless for something that you know is going to give you immediate benefit. And you're not going to be proficient. And you're not going to put ideas that's going to help somebody else out at the risk of, 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 of failing. And you're not going to try to find value for somebody else. You're not going to do the things you need to do that's going to separate you when the arrows are pointing inward because self-interested activity is usually short-term sighted because that's how it always works. Long-termness is something that you have to take a chance or a risk or give value along the way, right? A long-term marriage is going to have to require you to turn the hour around. It's a long-term raising children or working. All the things that have long-term sort of benefits require you along the way to point the arrows out. And I think that if you just, if we all sort of looked at it and said, okay, in these specific areas, if we're really honest with ourselves, where is the arrow point? It's counterintuitive to think that if you point the arrows out more, you get a benefit, but that's the experience that you're experiencing. And, and it works in personal relationships. It works in business relationships. And you know, what's, I recently heard from someone who's just an amazing person and he, he gave me the definition of innovation. And, it's, and, and when he said it to me, it was like, wow, light bulb, and I want to share it. Innovation is the ability to bring your fill-in-the-blank customer, whoever, to a better future so that they are willing to reward you for that. To bring your customer to a better future so that they're willing to reward you. That's the de his definition of innovation. And if we, and that's really the arrows out approach and the arrows will come around and then ultimately be pointing at you at the end. But if you, if you go through every one of your scenarios, personal life, business life, and you start with the arrows pointing out, how can I bring value to this relationship? How could I, with a personal business and start there and have a really good thought out process on how to do that? It's, it's, the future is yours. It, it's it's a, almost a guarantee that the result will be good for you. That's amazing. And, and, and that's such a great way to end, which is this idea of this meritocracy of life and that not everything, not everything falls out the way you want it to, but ultimately it's not about where you're from. It's about where you're going. And if you go the right way, you take the right steps, um, you increase exponentially you're likely to be getting there. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time, for being here, for being a part of this. I know we'll be back. That I know with God's help for sure. But um, I think this is a great way to um, really chart out a path for somebody that wants to practically sort of enhance his career and sort of explode and his success in, in, a, in a positive, sustainable, value-based, ethical way. Charlie, thanks for the opportunity to, to be here. And it's always a pleasure to talk to you. And I'll be looking for you on your podcasts and your radio shows because your wisdom and the learnings that we get, that I get from you are just 
off the charts great and I appreciate that. It's not just about the facts. It's about perspective. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari.